and welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us on this program as we bring it to you Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. on this fine station. We have podcasts that are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations uh, too numerous to mention. And the fact that you folks are reposting our interviews, uh, I am very very grateful for that. We are also on YouTube, and uh, we are on YouTube at Richard Dugan. Look for the guy with the hat. Okay, not hard to find. We hope that you will do that, and we also hope that you will go to our guest's website. We'll be giving you shortly so that you can continue, uh, as we like to say, your evolutionary process and uh, we encourage you to do that we also uh, if you're able to do so and you can support us and financially we would greatly appreciate that we have a paypal account for your security as well as ours and we ask you to participate in the decade of perfect vision the 2020s where we want you to spend some time going within spend that time uh, contemplating whatever it is that is of importance to you. You know, that's the key right there. It's what is important to you and not to anybody else. So uh, I guarantee you that you will get the kind of information, insight, inspiration, and information, as well as finding that still, calm, peaceful place that allows you to, oh, just relax rejuvenate, re-energize, uh, recalibrate, if you will. Uh, f- and, and if you do it every day, then you're doing that for every day. And that's extremely important for you to do so uh, that you can make it through whatever challenging times there might be. Well, we are going to be dealing with, uh, I think, a, f- a subject that I think you're going to enjoy because it has to do, well, it has to do with the subject of fear. It has to do with, a matter of fact, uh, there was a book that not only did I read, but I also recorded many, many years ago, almost 40, uh, I will say probably 38 or 37 or 38 years ago, uh, by a gentleman by the name of uh, Gerald Jampolsky. It was called Love is Letting Go of Fear. No, he is not my guest today. But I think you're still going to enjoy my guest today. His name is Lawrence Duchin, and he is the author of, I think it's a book that you need to read. It is called A Book on Fear. That's right. It's a book on fear and uh, feeling safe in a challenging world. And Lawrence, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program today. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Hello, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. And this is a safe space. There is no fear. Okay. There's no judgment. (laughs) None (laughs) of that. Okay. Uh, We want everybody to feel safe and secure and so forth. I, I, I take partial umbrage with the phrase, uh, in such challenging times or uncertain times when people use that phrase, because we have never in the existence of humanity ever lived in other than uncertain times. It's just to what degree are they uncertain? Uh, and which is interesting because most people really don't like change, which is the constant in the universe, right? <laughs> yes, which very much so. automatically implies that the times they are uncertain. 
There's a song in there somewhere too. Uh, yeah. But again, I think uh, as one of my guests pointed out, is is well, it's not about necessarily uh, the, the changes or the challenges. It's the degree to which these changes or challenges are coming at us. How severe, if you will, uh, or how minor for that matter. But there's always constant motion and movement. Uh, what has been your personal experience with fear that sent you down this particular path? I find this fascinating. Well, I don't think anybody uh, comes into this life trying to be an expert on fear. That's not something they would choose, right? Maybe you choose to be an expert on brain surgery or something like that. But So my experience with fear is basically what, what life brought to me, which started with sexual abuse by my mother when I was going through puberty. And so certainly I came out of that experience with a lot of ramifications. I had a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of anger and depression and a lot of fear. And so in life, you're either a warrior or you're a victim. And it's life will bring you certain circumstances and it's how you choose to deal with those circumstances and react to them, whether you are a warrior or a victim. And I chose to act like a warrior and to deal with those challenges that came up. And as I did that, I became what I call myself an expert on fear because fear was something that I had to, was present in my body and my emotions and my head for an extensive amount. And I had to learn to deal with that contracting energy and try and move into a more expansive and, and growing energy. In the context of your book, uh, what is fear? I know I've heard the acronym, but uh, from your perspective, Lawrence. Well, fear is, a, is really a belief. And so I think we are in fear because we have false beliefs about ourselves, about others, about the nature of reality, and about whatever we think to be, think or not think to be a creator, God, you know, whatever is in the universe. Um, so we're in fear because we have really false beliefs and I believe that we're here to work through those false beliefs and to grow. And, you know, and, and you mentioned change. Change is, is happening uh, all the time. It's, the problem is that, that most of us resist the change instead of flow with it. And when, when we resist the change, that's when suffering happens. It's very interesting when we start talking about fear. You use the word beliefs. <clears throat> One of my guests likes to use the phrase that... Uh, uh, we have a lot of BS in our lives. Now, it doesn't stand for what you think. It stands for belief systems. <laughs> and uh, what we need to do, and this is sort of a question I put to you, what we need to do is um, we need to determine whether or not our given belief systems serve us. And if they don't, we need to figure out how to let them go. Now, is it probably true that they're going to be replaced by a new set of belief systems? Because we're never really going to get rid of them all, are we? Well, I think uh, generally, to answer your question, for almost everybody walking the earth, yes, it's going to be replaced by another belief system. I do. I am of the opinion that some of the highly enlightened masters that walk this earth basically let go of their beliefs 
uh, you know, we're, we're in a unitive, we, we exist in a unitive universe, so everything is one. And there's really not a believer and a believing. There's not something outside of us. We're one with that. So we really, when we move, if, if, if somebody moves to the very highest level of spiritual achievement of being really in the world but not of it, then they have the ability then they don't have a belief system and they just, you know, what they ask for is, comes about as just part of the nature of reality. But for the, for the vast majority of us, uh, of us humans here, we are dealing with belief systems, which we can then, which, and we can definitely improve our belief systems. The, the problem with the belief systems is, is that for most people, it runs underneath the surface like a computer virus we don't know exactly what our belief systems are and so it affects the operation of us and a lot of people would say oh that's not true you know i, I like i believe i want to be um, promoted at work you know of course i want to be promoted at work but they may have a subconscious belief that they are afraid of being in a position of responsibility or that they're not worthy something like that so that's going to be a much stronger energetic pull than the surface belief that they, yeah, of, of course, I want to be uh, promoted. Mm -hmm. Lawrence Duchin is my guest. LawrenceDuchin.com is the website. That's L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E-D-O-O-C-H-I-N.com. Of course, we'll be linked to your website, uh, Lawrence, uh, uh, so people can uh, get more information in regards to the work that you are doing. Uh, I, I do find it really interesting uh, from the standpoint of dealing with fear uh, that too often we're preoccupied, of course, with the past and the future, uh, which I, I use this wonderful analogy, which is in my industry. Uh, as you and I converse, uh, I am recording these, uh, these programs. I'm recording our voice. And I'm sure that you have watched uh, uh, as someone has been recording something on a computer. And on one side, you see the wave as it has been created that symbolizes, if you will, or represents your voice or the sound that a person is putting into the computer. And then there's that line that kind of it flickers a little bit, but it stays centered. And um, the other side of that line, there's nothing. It's empty. So the left side of the screen uh, of that uh, 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 of that screen is the past. It's already happened. That's where the wave is. Whereas the right side of that line is the future. It hasn't happened yet. And what I find interesting, uh, Lawrence, is that as soon as I have heard your voice, I don't care if it's a millisecond in, say, answering one of my questions. It's already in the past. If my brain has interpreted it, I've understood what you've said. And I'm able to respond almost instantaneously. Doesn't matter how instantaneously. It's already in the past. That's how quick it is. The phrase mindfulness has been used a lot on this program by many, many, many of our guests. That is one of the areas that you help people to focus on, isn't it? It is because fear lives either in the past or the future, especially in the future, because we come up with all of these imagined scenarios that are going to happen. And this is really prevalent now with the pandemic and just all kinds of things around that. And we believe, we think these things are going to happen and then we get very worrisome and we get into a lot of fear. 
And a lot of times those scenarios do not happen unless we it really energize those scenarios because we are manifesting uh, our belief system. So we have to pay really good attention to what we are creating within our being and what we're energizing the scenarios that we are energizing and pull ourselves back to the present moment is yeah i wanted to add just it's interesting that you you were talking about the past being the past and i love that analogy what you were saying about on the screen and so forth Mm -hmm. and so i think it's it's you know everything in the universe is is paradoxical so for me time is paradoxical because we are both because we are eternal spirit beings, but we're here in a 3D reality in human form, and we do experience a past, present, and future. So we have to hold both the fact that, that time, uh, that there is no time, and that also that we are experiencing past, present, and future. And certainly from the perspective of being, you know, we want to pull ourselves back into the moment, um, but that the pr- the the past is also present in the moment and we can actually go back and change things in the past by thinking differently of them. Mm. Now that's a subject that we have touched on, on this program time and time again as well. Um, you can't change your past, right? You can't, you can't go back and change the events that took place, right? You cannot uh, we are uh, to answer that we are multidimensional beings. Okay, I, I'm really I'm really enjoying this conversation because usually it's going off into sometimes it, it's it's going off into areas that I really enjoy. Sometimes I do podcasts. I'm just talking about fear based, but this is interesting. So we are multidimensional beings. That's that's what you know. Scientists, many scientists now believe in the multiverse, and and Jesus said there are many. Rooms in my father's house. Yeah. So we're existing in many realities. For me, every time we make a choice, we're 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 creating a new reality. So there's a lot of our probable selves, and it, there's just many realities happening at once. And so when we go back and think of something differently, we are actually changing it in some reality. Okay. All right. So uh, if if I had. Uh... Well, I used this example before as a kid growing up, you know, I have a brother, a younger brother, and hey, you know, sometimes we're teammates and other times we're rivals. And uh, one afternoon we were a bit of a rival situation there. And I threw uh, one of these small bathroom metal garbage cans at him and I knocked out his two front teeth. I kid you not, you know, and I was very sorry for doing that. I was still little upset about the whole situation because, you know, well, I'm the older brother and da-da-da-da-da. Again, we're talking about maybe uh, eight, nine, ten years old, okay? So we weren't that old, you know? We were right. just, just starting out. And I can't go back and undo the fact that I threw that garbage can at him, wastebasket at him, hit him in the face, knocked out his two front teeth, they rushed him off to the dentist, blah, 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 blah. Fortunately, they were not his permanent teeth. They were his baby teeth, so the others grew in. But still, there was the pain, there was the frustration, there was all that stuff, and I'm sure there was some money that had to be doled out by my parents to have him cared for. However... I can go back, though I can't change the actual event, and I hear what you're saying about the multidimensional issue. What I can do is view it differently and say, okay, 
I was a kid. I was just a young kid. And I lost my temper, as young kids do, okay? Uh, maybe my terrible twos snuck up on me and at the age of 9 or 10 or 11 or what have you. <laughs> and it's mine, it's mine, and here, take that. Right. Uh, and say, okay, I did that. I own it. It's my responsibility. I'm not a victim uh, of circumstance. And at least he wasn't injured severely to where, you know, anything else other other than that happened. He's gone on to live a very successful life, uh, a very generous life. Uh, I say that because he took my parents to China one year for, I, I guess, a couple of weeks, which I remember telling him, I said, man, I'm proud of you. You know, I'm I'm financially not as successful as him. I don't care. Yeah. I was happy that he was able to do that for my folks. So from that standpoint, we have a good relationship. That wasn't a, a, a turning point as far as he and I are, are concerned. Uh, but I could I could look at that event differently rather than feeling guilt and or shame and, and all of the other things and being afraid that, you know, if I pick up another garbage can, even at the age of 60, as I am now, Am I going to throw this at someone and knock knock them out, knock their teeth out or hurt them in some way? No, you know. So, but what you're talking about, even on the multidimensional level, if I am understanding correctly, is that at the moment that I threw that and hit him and knocked out those teeth, I went down a different path, but I don't know what path I would have gone down if I hadn't done that. And that's sort of the paradox you talk about because... When we make choices, which is what this program's all about, uh, Lawrence, giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true, um, we uh, um, uh, we find it interesting that um, a lot of people don't know the choices that are available to them. Okay, they're unaware. They're unaware of that that they can go a different direction. There's a, there's a problem and or a paradox that I'd like for you to address from the standpoint of our knowledge base or our awareness base. I'm not sure which, which category that would okay, fall that, under. Yeah, yeah. Okay, awareness. That makes sense. I was wondering, like, what kind of knowledge base do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you have? What I do think you, it is awareness. Yeah. What are you tapping into? So uh, one of the reasons that the, the book the book is written in a way was given to me in a way that's very comprehensive. So I talk about everything from quantum physics to spirituality, to philosophy, to psychology, um, a wide range of different perspectives because we are, we have to pull all those perspectives in to understand, to, to garner a larger awareness. Uh, one of the things that, that I've found in my life it's very helpful is to understand that life is a lot of gray. Um, there's really nothing black and white. We think there's things that are black and white and the people who are most hardened in their opinions and judgments and beliefs in a black and white scenario are the ones who are most in fear. So there's a lot of wisdom that comes from understanding that and I've got a great quote in the book. I think it's from like Socrates, basically like saying you don't, or maybe Aristotle, I can't remember, but it's basically like saying you don't understand anything. <laughs> um, and so when we come to a place of like we're in a large mystery, eternal mystery that we just really can't understand. And when we come into that place of awareness, then we are actually given 
a lot of wisdom and a lot of understanding in a different way than we had tried to process through our 3D ego mind. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, you know, awareness, you're talking about uh, going back and looking at the past. One of the things that, that I have a, s- several chapters on psychology and the vehicles in our life and conditioning. And, and conditioning is really important to, you know, number one, if we have fear, we have to determine what fears do we have. And a lot, again, a lot of those fears are hidden. So in order to do that, we need to watch our emotions and reactions because those are trigger. We're being triggered. And those are things that are showing us where our fears are. So like Carl Jung, who's the father of analytical uh, psychology, said that projection is one, one of the most common phenomenon. So we are... Uh, a lot of times we're not angered for the reason we think, you know, there's, there's fear behind the anger. We're often projecting um, our guilt onto others, individuals or groups as blame. We're projecting when we, when we're judging others, it's a projection of our self judgment. So if we can start to look at it from a more treetop perspective and have, and watch our emotions and reactions, this is witnessing, this is mindfulness. This is part of mindfulness. Um, but but goes more than just pulling into the moment. It goes more into like, oh, okay, I'm having this reaction and, and really watching our trail of thoughts. Then we can start to see what are the beliefs that are underpinning these fears. And then we take the next step and say, why do I hold those beliefs? What conditioning have I undergone either uh, basically like childhood conditioning, could be workplace conditioning, definitely societal conditioning and then also there's there's also uh intergenerational trauma that's been proven that exists in our dna that we take trauma on from our ancestors so we have been conditioned from many sources and once we start to see that once we start to shine light onto these places of conditioning in these beliefs we will dissipate those that conditioning and those beliefs and that is what i call to be awareness I think a, a, another wonderful uh, phrase that we might uh, throw in there, a biblical passage, ye shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. And until, and, and this is a lot of what has happened to many people, where in my case, for example, the situation with my brother when we were kids, uh, I didn't repress it. I remember it <laughs> quite vividly, strangely enough. But a lot of folks, they bury this stuff because of the fear and the shame and all those things. Uh, maybe they were told by the person in your case, maybe don't you tell anybody or they'll be hell to pay. You know, I will hurt you or this will happen or that. In other words, there's, there are threats and so forth. And so we bury the stuff or sometimes we will threaten ourselves in a manner of speaking. I better not talk about that because that would just be, that would be awful. You know, it would hurt too many people. I'd be exposed this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and every time I think about that, I think about uh, the uh, the politician, for example, or the celebrity who is accused of allegedly committing this particular act or that particular act. And those who say, oh, no, no, didn't do it. I it's not it wasn't me. It was someone that looked like me, blah, blah, blah. And I sit there and I think. Why don't you just tell the truth? And it just goes on and on and it takes on a life of its own. Then there are those who are accused of allegedly doing this, that, or the other thing. They own it. 
They said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very sorry. I, I wish I hadn't done it, but I did, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and I will get help or whatever, whatever the r- remedy is, the, the, uh, um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, making amends, if you will, whatever the amend is. Sometimes it's, you know, you got to go through the judicial system, whatever it is. Right. And it goes away. And I don't necessarily mean it goes away for the individual, but it's no longer in the public. Well, what's there to talk about? There's no drama there because he just, he or she just took the wind out of our sails. Now we got nothing to talk about. So now we got to move on to somebody else who's willing to deny that they did this, that, or the other thing. And then we got another story. And it, but, but that's what happens is when you acknowledge that your dark side and the things you've done, don't they tend to go away? And doesn't the fear sort of dissipate or evaporate in some fashion for that specific instance? Yeah. Taking responsibility for your actions and words is, is, is taking power. Uh, Denying it is out of integrity and is uh, giving away your power. So, it's important to to take responsibility for what you've done, but also it's important to recognize that there is every single person walking this earth would say about something in their past. I would have done if I knew what I knew now, I would have done that differently. So it's like we're all dealing with this issue. And, you know, one of the reasons that we're here is to uh, evolve and grow. And we do that by taking responsibility, being aware of stuff and having compassion on ourselves. Compassion is a really important part of healing and growth. And when we have compassion on ourselves, we will have compassion on other people. What you're seeing in the world now is a severe lack of compassion on others. It's basically, obviously, we're in a very polarized state, very divisive state. People Mm -hmm. are blaming and judging others. And that is because everything's being we're in an evolutionary time where everything's being brought to the surface to kind of be uprooted. Uh, I was talking to someone today and I was saying that we're all being pushed and either you're going, you're either going one of two ways. You're either allowing it to flow through you and these things come up and you're processing these emotions that you have and these false beliefs and these things that you may have done differently. um, Or you're going, if you're the other end, you're going into the hardened you're becoming more hardened in your beliefs and, and deny, completely denying, you know, things that are that are very logical and fact based. And so there's a there's a split going there. But I believe that there's that's intended. That's kind of what's happening in the universe right now. And we're all, again, being pushed to grow because the paradigm that we're living in is not one of is not a very productive one. It's not one that reflects our true essence of who we are as divine beings. You know, that's an interesting phrase you use, the true essence of divine beings that we are. I remember asking uh, one of my guests about this question in regards to our evolutionary process, the transformation of the human race, if you will. And I said, my question was, so um, will there come a point when we uh, we will finally know who we are? And they said, no said, there will come a time when we will finally know who we have always been, which isn't really, I mean, it's a distinction, but it really isn't a distinction because who we are and who we've always been is the same thing. 
But the question I have for you in that regard is, how do we get in touch? I have my ideas. I can throw some stuff out there. But how do we, Lawrence, get in touch with who we really are or always have been in order to get on the path to make the choices that eliminate the fear, that bring about the calm, the peace. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to look for a word that doesn't have an opposite here, you know, <laughs> and I don't want to use the word stagnant, okay, because we want a dynamic life, but we also want to thrive. I would venture that you are probably tired or at least at some point you, you reached the point where you said, I'm tired of surviving. I want to thrive. Yes, for sure. The, the first thing, the, the, the first thing that we have to want is to not live a dysfunctional life. Most people, a large majority of people are living in a type of what I call living hell, really a prison cell of their own making. And you have to want something different. Um, this, this is why we live in a society that has, that has a huge amount of addiction, whether that be alcohol and drugs, money and wealth and power, food, internet, porn, you know, it's all way, way off the charts because people are trying to, because this, because at a core, they realize that their life is dysfunctional. Their relationships are dysfunctional. They're not in authentic relationships and they are lacking in, in joy. They're lacking in true joy and they're trying to substitute that with an ego joy. Mm -hmm. And so an and ego joy is very fleeting. And so that's why the, uh, an addict will try and take more to, to get that feeling or billionaires will try and accumulate more money, even though they got more than they could ever need. And so at some point we have to come to terms with, I am not happy. And, and then when we say that, we acknowledge that and we have to ask for help. And if you don't have a relationship with what I call God or a creator or, mm -hmm. you know, believe in a lo loving universe, you can ask for help from human sources. There's a lot of help that, that wants to help us. And, and for me, I would recommend definitely asking for help from a spiritual sense, but I understand a lot of people are not necessarily there, but, but asking for help is a recognition. It's a, it's a surrender type of thing. Yeah. And so once we do that, then help will pour into us. And, and the next step is we have to be willing to accept that help in whatever form it comes, because it's one thing to say, um, you know, I want help, but then another thing to, to not take the steps, which are shown. Certainly a lot of people hit rock bottom, and then it's like they'll, they'll do anything to get out of that. And that's unfortunate. We don't have to hit a rock bottom to to make change. So we, we ask for help that, you know, that signals the universe that we that we're surrendering. And then we need we'll be shown practices that will move us from our left brain, Western ego thinking into more of our heart and our body, because we are obviously heavy centered in this western society in logical and ego thinking and 
but our, you know, the, the electromagnetic field coming from the heart is six, 60 times larger than electromagnetic field coming from the brain. So mm-hmm. the heart is literally the seat of our consciousness. And, and, you know, there's been plenty of spiritual masters that have told us, you know, Jesus told us like where your, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And a lot of other people. So we have to come into a place of opening our heart, moving into our body, all of that, all of our, uh, what is real within us and what is our trauma, our beliefs are all stored cellularly in our body. And we have to cultivate practices that put us into our body um, and into our heart. So these are things, you know, it could be anything from obviously like meditation, yoga, being in nature is a huge one that, that centers me in my body in the moment. Um, any type of creative practice like, you know, like art or doing dance, things that are movement based. Um, and, and so and then and then we also have to bring in practices of these are muscles. These these muscle these are muscles that have not been flexed in a long time because we're used to being in ego thinking. We're used to being in victim mentality, and we have to flex muscles of gratitude, forgiveness, and compassion. And those muscles, those energetic pathways, have not been used in a long time. But that is our true energetic pathways, and so we need to start to work on those things. And and it's not we have to continually reinforce those things. Just like you go to the gym to exercise a muscle. My core muscles are weak right now, so I'm trying to work on them, but I have to work on them pretty constantly and I've got to work, you know, on a limited basis and try and build up. So mm-hmm. for instance, when you are angry at somebody, you know, the, the, the ego will say, Oh, you know, they don't justify forgiveness or, you know, it will have a vengeful uh, attitude. So we have to push ourselves into forgiveness. We have to, move from a, when our when our thinking goes into a victim mentality we have to move into a space of gratitude thinking and we can feel that in the body when we're thinking in fear of victim thinking if, if you if you feel that in the body uh, you will feel the body contracted and you move into gratitude thinking uh, move into not really gratitude thinking but more gratitude basically as a emotion that's within as a part of our being and in the body, you will feel an expansive opening energy. And then we have to, we have to pull back our, you know, projections of blame on others and say, Hey, we're all part, even if you don't believe in any type of spiritual reality, we're all part of one humanity. And so we don't, you know, we don't know for us to judge others is really hypocrisy because we don't know what set of experiences that person went through why they're to make them make the choices they're making now that we are now judging. Okay. Mm. If we went through their exact set of experiences, first off, we don't know what those experiences are because we don't have the perspective. We don't have a broad enough perspective. We're just seeing a very narrow lens of what action or words they're saying. But if we have a, even aside from that, uh, if we knew, if we had their exact set, set of experiences, we might be taking the same actions that they do. So, that's humbling. Mm-hmm. Humility is is of God, and humility is a really good thing because humility opens us up to be more in a heart space and be in our body. How do we get our ego, our personality, in balance with our heart, with our soul? I've often heard early on in meditation— uh, that 
you want, uh, I remember when I first started learning about meditation, you want to quiet the mind. You basically want to tell it to be quiet and go in the background and do nothing and just stay out of the way because I'm trying to meditate. And as time has gone on, I've kind of heard it this way, that you don't want to do that. You do not want to do that because you will make an enemy of the mind. You want to say to the mind, I need some time right now, to the ego, if you will, to uh, uh, focus on a couple of, uh, I need to focus on some other things here. Now, as soon as I'm done here in the next 5, 10, 20, 30 minutes, hour, whatever it is that you've set aside, uh, I'll come back to you. And we'll get together again and then we'll take what I've learned and we'll put it together and we'll we'll do some neat stuff. But for right now, could I ask you just to maybe just sit here quietly? You know, I would really appreciate it. You're very important to me. But right now I need, you might put it in this context, Lawrence, I need some alone time. <laughs> <laughs> um, because the mind, the ego isn't an enemy, is it? No, I just actually wrote an article a week ago. The exact title was The Ego is Not Our Enemy. So, but the ego has its own agenda. The problem is, is that uh, we, vast majority of people, see the ego is, a, is, a, is part of us. The ego desires wholeness like the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Everything in the universe desires to return to wholeness. But the ego is a very small slice of us. It's a needed it's a needed thing here in this reality because we have to have a personality and we have to deal with the world and so forth. So it's, it's a very important tool. But as we know, the problem is, is that for a large majority of people, they see only through that narrow lens. And we want to expand that to see more of who we are as a multidimensional being. And so we need to ba basically, you know, anything that you've you energize and that's what you were talking about in mm -hmm. terms of the flip on the meditation thing mm -hmm. and, and so but what we want to do is we can honor what the ego's gifts are while redirecting our attention to the expansive part of our being and you have to practice that there's no way around this you have to practice that because we're so ego-centered i mean sometimes i still fall back into the ego thinking so you know i do a like a uh I do like, I call it maybe like a living meditation. I don't sit down and I mean, in the morning I'm doing like a prayer meditation a little bit, but for, throughout the day, I'm constantly pulling my attention back to the greater part of my being mm -hmm. using the tools of gratitude, compassion, forgiveness, and, and, and watching and watching my thoughts where they're like, Oh my God, that was just an interesting trail of thoughts. My ego went off on like just bashing that person or doing whatever and just saying, oh, that's not, you know, that's not where I want to be. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so as you do that, the ego thoughts will become, they don't become less in terms of they're still churning and churning, but you hear them less. They have less influence over you. Mm -hmm. So you telling me that you don't sit in a lotus posture with your 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 pinky and your thumb or or index finger and your thumb on each knee and cross-legged and sitting up straight and closing your eyes and and trying to see a mandala or see the om symbol you don't do any of that <laughs> Well, my knees have major arthritis problems, so they can't do that. <laughs> you and, and me both, my friend. And then, and then also I have back issues, so like which I'm working on with my core. Mm -hmm. So no, I don't do that. But, um, <laughs> and but you know I'm being facetious. I, I know you are. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we one of the things is that 
And, and so the, one of the problems with that is that people think that they're meditating wrong. Yeah. Or there's a right way to do this. And, 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 you know, all this is part of our, our fallacy of right and wrong, yeah. good and bad, all these dualities that are really not separate. They all merge into one yeah. paradoxical reality that we're just holding. And once we see that, we're able to just kind of be okay with things yeah. as they are. Yeah. Teresa of Avila, I think, uh, really said it best. And I, I got this quote uh, from Autobiography of a Yogi. He quoted her as saying, God is amongst the pots and the pans. Yes. And when I'm doing the dishes or I'm vacuuming the floors or I'm cutting wood in the backyard or helping to build, uh, working with my wife to build the greenhouse, uh, I like to think of myself as being in that zone, as especially a lot of sports figures would say, in that zone. To me, that is meditation as well. Uh, and, um, and boy, I'll tell you what, it makes a big difference in the process. There have been times when I've been in that process. I've sort of run into a little bit of a roadblock because like, okay, well, this isn't fitting or I can't get in the right position to do this or what have you. And I get this, this uh, I get two things. One is I get this sense that I need to stop. But then I get this voice in my ear that is usually from my wife saying, you know, this is not a have to. Okay. This yeah. is a want to. Uh, I remember having to fell a tree and I had to put a ladder up against the tree to cut down a limb, uh, but I didn't want it to fall on the fence and so on and so forth. Put that ladder around the tree like five or six or seven times. And I couldn't get the ladder positioned exactly the way I wanted it. So I could climb up there with the chainsaw running and cut the limb down without creating more damage or hurting myself. So I got down off the ladder and I thought, you know what? I'm going to leave it. I came back the next day, put the ladder in one spot, boom, cut the limb. No problem. Everything was just fine. I think maybe that's part of our problem too. Uh, the issue, one of the challenges, is that we want it. You know, the old the old joke. I want patience, and I want it now. <laughs> right. You know, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Gerald uh, Jampolsky in the beginning because, of course, in miracles has been something that's been really important to me. Oh, and yeah. of course, in Mir course in miracles says, in the course of miracles, it says basically. God doesn't, God only needs our willing, a little bit of willingness. He can do the rest. Okay. We just have to be willing. The problem is, is that we think that we have to do all these things instead of just trusting that, that we have all this support and the universe will take care of us and we'll do all these things. And it's interesting that you mentioned about the tree, because I know in my life, um, and, and a lot of people that I have talked to, it's like, they just beat their head up against the beat beat their head up against the wall, and then when they just let it go, then it happens. Yeah, you know. So uh, for me, one of the chapters in the book is is on vehicles and how everything is a vehicle for our growth and awakening, and I think that's been very important to me. And it's usually usually the things that we want act as the vehicles for us to um, not get them until we let them go. And then we get them. Yeah. Um, I remember <laughs> as a young man in my late teens, early 20s, uh, wanting a girlfriend uh, and, uh, you know, and, and virtually hitting on every uh, girl uh, where I was working at the time. 
uh, and and getting turned down pretty consistently. <laughs> Someone said to me, what you do not understand, Richard, is girls can, in a manner of speaking, they can smell desperation and you <laughs> are desperate. Let yeah. it go. Okay. Uh, when I was trying to get a driver's license just to drive a moped. Now, I was born legally blind. And so I could see well enough to ride a bicycle and all of that. kind. I was riding all over town in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, they wouldn't give me one. I thought, oh, this is just, uh, this is nuts. This isn't right. I didn't do this. They did this, you know, because I'm not the one who said I was legally blind. They did, you know, the old victim thing. So finally, I said, you know what? Forget it. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna try anymore. I'm just gonna let it go. Look, if I'm bicycling at the age of 65, you know what? It's okay. I mean, it's great exercise. I'm gonna feel good. I'm gonna be healthy and strong, and so on and so on and so on. Within about two years, technology caught up with me. I got a lens implant in my right eye, and now I am driving. I'm driving a truck, carrying, uh, pulling behind it a a, a trailer. Uh, going camping with my wife, I just having a great time. So it's like you said, once you let it go, once you let it go, things start to happen. But you really have to let it go. You can't say, well, I'm going to just hang on just to one string here. Okay. Because, uh, and I love this saying, uh, Lawrence, be part of the process don't try to control the process. Mm -hmm. To me, that's extremely important in, in what we're talking about here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, somebody had said one time that basically referring to uh, the David sculpture, by Michelangelo, that we are both the we're, we're both the sculpture, the sculptor and the and the, the clay being sculpted. And that's really accurate. But definitely one of the things that 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 from my experience that came out of it was uh, my sexual abuse. We we're talking about control is certainly my need to be in control of things because, and I think a lot of people who have been abused uh, in childhood, especially sexual abuse, have that need to control because that's what, what, what you feel is going to keep you safe. And so I think we see that and that need to control comes out in a lot of uh, manifestations in society and not so good ways. And that's something that we all can start to work on and release. If you have just joined us, uh, we are talking with Lawrence Duchin. He is the author of, I think, a great book that you are going to want to get a copy of. I think it's important uh, that we all take an opportunity to read a book on fear. And it basically subtitled Feeling Safe in a challenging world. And, you know, that to me is such a key phrase. Feeling safe. Being safe is one thing, but feeling safe. I mean, you could be inside of a, uh, of a castle. You could be on the inside of a castle wall, okay, uh, and, uh, and still not feel safe. Uh, and yet, you're perfectly safe. No one's going to get through there, of course, unless they're using whatever weapons they used in the Middle Ages to uh, break the wall down, which they did have. Uh, really quite uh, quite astounding the ways they were able to uh, uh, break through some of these. But uh, I often think about this from this context, Lawrence. 
uh, and I, I uh, dating myself here, which is I don't I don't mind. I, you know, I'm 60 and I'm proud of it. Star Trek analogy of putting up our shields. Nothing can get in. Nothing can get out except, of course, your weapons fire. That's it. When your shields are up, mm-hmm. all you can do is attack. That's all you can do. Mm-hmm. And no messages. I love James Redfield talking about how we have messages for one another in a Celestine prophecy, uh, who we've also had on this program. It's wonderful, wonderful time talking with him. And so we've got to put those shields down or walls or whatever you whatever analogy you want to use. Because otherwise we miss out on so much. Did you find that that was the case with you? Or did you find at an early age that I want to go back to being vulnerable again? Because without that vulnerability, no one's ever going to get to know me. And I'm not really going to get to know anybody else. So I wanted to quickly say that your analogy or what you mentioned about being safe, feeling safe is excellent because we can be in the worst of situations and feel safe. And that's a hard thing, but we have to know our safety comes from internal and our relationship with the divine and that we are eternal beings. And that is where our true safety lies. But to answer your question, I went through my twenties and I was very depressed, angry, fearful, uh, but dysfunctional, didn't know any better. I, I, I was what I call kind of awakened in my late twenties and realized how dysfunctional I was. And for me, I didn't, it was affecting my relationships with my wife and my children greatly. And I didn't want to live that life. I mean, I didn't want that life for them and I didn't want that life for me. So I set out on changing that. And I was willing to go through whatever was needed to change that. And my relationships, while they're not perfect, they are just amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, they are bring me so much joy. And I think sometimes that our relationships, whether that be with our significant other, if we have children or just close friends, we discount how important our relationships are we in this world we tend especially in the western society we tend to look and say that we tend to place what we do in our careers or you know other types of external measures as super important and we're here to just live a joyful life and to be reflections of the divine to each other and to grow and to be in those close relationships and get a lot of joy out of that and there's not much there's not much more than that. Everything else is just a form that's yeah. used to, you know, and, and so we, we need to really self-reflect on what's important to us and what's real. You know, that's, that's a, a really, really good point. Um, I wanted to ask you in regards to what you were just speaking about, you use the, the word perfect to describe or not perfect, if you will, the phrase to describe your relationships. There are two and now three words that I want to abolish <laughs> or maybe at least redefine uh, two words in particular, success and failure. Get rid of them because we're not here to succeed or fail. We're here to learn. We're here to grow. We're here to experience. We're, as you say, we're here to experience joy and, and, and as I like to think of it, a thrive, not just survive. But the word perfect, my relationship with my wife 
and my family, my uh, my parents and my siblings and other friends and so forth, is perfect. And here's the definition. A biblical definition where Jesus is talking to his disciples, be, pe- be perfect, even, even as your heaven and Father in heaven is perfect. Okay, well, what, what, what does that mean? And so, I, I mean, and I thought about this. I worked for 15 years at a Christian radio station and certainly had a lot of downtime to think about that. And I came to the conclusion, based upon some of the, uh, the, the, the writings, especially in the Old Testament, as well as the New, being perfect isn't being right or wrong or good or bad or black or white or up or down. It's just being. Just be. That's perfection. And so my relationships are perfect because they just, they are. Yeah, I, I actually talk about this in the book. You know, we would never describe a piece of artwork as perfect. We would never describe the way a bird sings as imperfect. Our definitions of what is our definition? If I ask 100 people what their definition of perfect is for an individual, they would give me 100 different definitions. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus got Jesus got angry. I mean, we can always we can always say, sure, I can be more kind. I could you know be more intelligent. Does that make me perfect? So, what you just described is completely accurate in terms of the nebulous. Yeah. Being of being perfect, perfection is just in the being. It's in and it's in the holiness of just being. Yeah. That is what perfection is. And we judge these forms that we're in as good or bad, but God's not judging those forms. It's us judging those mm-hmm. forms. Mm-hmm. And 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 so perfection is just is basically in the divine expressing through us. You know, I find it interesting by its. Uh, lack of appearance in the New Testament and the stories of Jesus. Uh, It's conspicuous by its uh, not being there. Where, and I've read the Bible, I've read the New Testament several times, there's no place where Jesus is recorded to have laughed or smiled uh, certainly kind words, constantly kind words, and sometimes upbraiding words. Yes, he got angry in the temple, tossing stuff over. But where do you see where he enjoyed himself, or or maybe not enjoyed himself, but he laughed and 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 had, if we can put it in this context, had fun and, and was joyous and so forth. And it's like, wait a minute, if he was fully God and fully man— Where's the rest of him? <laughs> you know what I mean? Where's the rest yes. of him? And and I, I think that it's one of those things where, you know, I I've I was I have I have been around ministers and pastors and people of of different uh, uh, denominations and, and religions uh, for years. And some of them are very happy, very joyous, and others are very serious and uh, and you know all of that stuff. And I'm just thinking Wait a minute, that's not why we're here to be... There are times to be serious, (laughs) as it says in Ecclesiastes, and times to be happy and laugh and cry and rejoice and mourn, and and the list goes on. I won't quote all of Ecclesiastes there. I find it interesting that we do tend, and of course someone said to me, you know, this life would be so boring if there wasn't drama. If, if you know, I mean, we, we live in a dynamic world. And as we mentioned earlier in the program, you know, it's constantly changing. 
uh, it would be boring if there wasn't change, if there wasn't movement, if there wasn't a, a dynamic existence. And I suppose if there wasn't drama, but because uh, then we probably wouldn't really appreciate sitting in nature, watching, listening to a waterfall and the birds and the other sounds and feeling the moisture in the air and the sun or rain or whatever the natural world has to offer us at that time. We wouldn't uh, we wouldn't have a comparison, I suppose, <laughs> you know, Um do you feel that the path you have been on since you came into this world, are there any parts you regret? Are there any parts you wish you hadn't gone through? I mean, there. yes, uh, I, I think that's part of our humanity. I, I don't think, you know, I have regrets, but I don't have guilt about it. And I don't think that I would change it. That may be uh, that may be paradoxical. What I just said <laughs> that I have regrets, I <laughs> and I pro- and I probably you know, but I wouldn't change it uh, because what happened to me was what formed was what gave me the manna so that I could be to the place I'm at now, which I'm very grateful for, and which I'm still trying to grow and evolve and and to refine and to come more from an open hearted place and be more compassionate and on myself and others. So uh, I can look back and I can see how all these things were like vehicles for me to, to, to become aware of, of the things that I wanted to, to work out. So I wouldn't wish my life on somebody else, but I also probably, if I couldn't, if I couldn't be at the place I'm at now, I, I, I would uh, still choose to go through what I went through, if that's what I needed to, to get to this place now, even though it was, it was a lot of trauma and a, and a lot of not so good times, but that's part of our humanity, you know, and we have to, we have to carry, our, we have to carry our divinity and humanity at the same time. And that's where it's all gets, it's all, it's all crazy. It's all holy. And it's all just sometimes just, you know, hard. It's, it's all mixed up in one ball and you just have to just, you know, live with it and be with it and surrender to it. I've often said this of people, and I do my utmost to catch myself regretting uh, any events that have happened in my life because I'm basically saying by saying that I regret that I wish that hadn't happened. Well, but... If that hadn't happened, you wouldn't be the person you are today. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have the understanding, the awareness, maybe the compassion, the empathy for others if you hadn't gone through those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from that standpoint, you know, I often say I use the the, the, the analogy of, an, of a tapestry and there's a, th- a loose thread. Oh, let's get rid of that loose thread. You start pulling on it and the tapestry starts <laughs> to fall apart. It starts mm-hmm. to, dis- it, it, you know, it just, you know, now you all you have is yarn or thread. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you no longer have a tapestry, and I find it very, very interesting that, um, that people have this, this, uh, uh, this, this feeling, and and I've I've even watched some programs. Where, ah, I have no regrets. Well. That might be true, but that doesn't necessarily mean we don't 
wish certain things hadn't happened, where we hadn't done certain things. I, I mean, I do wish I hadn't thrown that garbage can, that wastebasket at my brother's face and knocked mm-hmm. out his teeth. But it happened. Okay. And if it Move hadn't on. happened, you, you if it hadn't happened, you wouldn't have stuff to talk about on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. Um, uh, it's it's really really uh, um, fascinating to me. Uh, as we talk about uh, uh, the work that you are doing uh, and the work that others are doing, uh, that more and more people seem to be, again, they're become they're waking up more and more and more. Uh, I, I I think there are only a few people who are um, uh, uh, fully awake, who have been fully awake throughout human history, okay? Uh, mm-hmm. We are hopefully learning from their lessons of waking up. I think my favorite story, of course, is of Buddha, you know, who was looking for enlightenment. And he's looking everywhere. And finally, when he finally sat down under the Bodhi tree, uh, if I have the story correctly, he just kind of gave up. And boom, it came. Mm-hmm. Again, it mm-hmm. goes back to what you were talking about before. <laughs> so, so we just need to kind of, all right, just keep moving forward. All right. Uh, You can stop and smell the roses along the way. Enjoy the journey. But, you know, uh, just keep moving and don't get stuck. It is a book on fear. That's the title, A Book on Fear. Uh, Feeling safe in a challenging world, which I made the comment er when we first started that we've lived in a challenging world as long as humanity's been on the planet. Um, and it's just to the degree uh, that we face those challenges. Um, is there any kind of a, if I can put it in this context, uh, Lawrence, is there any kind of a a scale that we can look at in that regard? Because they're saying that uh, even if and when, and I'm going to say when, not if, but when, uh, we finally finish up with this uh, this virus thing, I, I like to call it the Corona era when it comes to an end. Um, that's not going to be the end of it because of the depression and the anxiety and the fear that so many people are now kind of stuck in because this has gone on for seemingly so long <laughs> that we're going to have a lot of other mental health issues to deal with. And this is going to center around around fear. Mm-hmm. I think the thing I, I agree with you, and I think the thing that we want to return to is compassion on ourselves and on others. We're all in this together, and we want to find the solutions that we can. And there's there's help from so many sources in terms of being able to to raise your perspective to get help for you know whatever you're experiencing, anxiety, fear, depression over this, uh, what's this crisis and then other, uh, crises that are going to come. And, and, but again, we are being pushed to the, the, God doesn't, God uses everything in as manna. And even if it's something that, who you know, that, that was not, created by God or however we describe that, but everything can be used for manna to help us grow. Mm-hmm. Even the, the thing, sometimes the things that are the most adverse circumstances are the ones that create the most growth because when we're really pushed to find the answers within ourselves 
to deal with the situation and to understand and to come to a higher perspective and to know that we're safe within, you know, within God, within ourselves and to, uh, and, and, and to not live in fear. So did I answer your question? Hmm. Well, we're talking with Lawrence Duchin, and lawrenceduchin.com is the website. Last name is spelled D-O-O-C-H-I-N. Uh, and uh, to me, it's it's fascinating to watch uh, this this unfoldment, if you will, of the raising of consciousness, or uh, uh, you know, we're we're becoming more awake. Uh, and it's not about how many of the books that are out there, the as I like to call them, ancient wisdom teachings that we've read, uh, as much as it is how we have incorporated the main message that they contain. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's, it's, um, uh, it's one of those, one of those things where, again, it goes back to that old issue, old issue of, uh, you know, the mind, the ego, you know, I could sit here and I could list off all, a lot of the books I've read, Lawrence, you know, including yours, you know, and, and uh, the Upanishads and the and the Bible and the Quran and the Gitas and on and on. And, and none of that matters unless I have somehow found a way to incorporate it into my being. And there's a wonderful word that I gathered from the book, Stranger in a Strange Land. The word to grok, to, uh, as I define it, to assimilate into every molecule, subatomic particle of my being so as to truly live the life that I have, I, I put it this way, that I've been given. Because as far as I know, as far as I know, I didn't create myself. And yet I, I could find out somewhere down the road that I did. Because if we're going, <laughs> because the ancient wisdom teachings uh, do tell us where we come from, and where we're going back to the one. So maybe uh -huh. I created myself for this experience, you know? And so I'm going to not necessarily sit back literally, but I'm going to sit back and enjoy it. I'm going to have some fun with it, you know, uh -huh. and uh, not feel the fear. Do you feel as though your life, uh, and I don't know, on a scale of one to 10, maybe in your early days, your, your fear level was at, at 10 where would you say your fear level is today? And I know that it probably ebbs and flows, but in general. Well, I, th I think that my fear level based before I started to become aware of different things and entered into therapy and things like that was probably uh, was probably like a six or seven. The problem that with most people is they're not aware of their fear and they're suppressing it. The fear is there and it's affecting them. So how much you feel it and how much is there is, is, are two different things. Certainly my fear level will go from <laughs> zero to <laughs> zero to eight. Now I was, I was seeing about the, uh, the, the rollout of the vaccines. My wife was telling me about the rollout of the vaccine this morning. So my fear level was at an eight this morning, ah. you know, and I have to then, uh, th these are all, these are all just vehicles for me. Yeah. I mean, they are, they're vehicles for me to to deal with whatever fear is remaining in me. I, I've, I've knocked out a huge amount of fear. I'm very grateful for that because 
as you knock out what is false within you, what is real comes to the surface. That's our joy. That's our gratitude. That's our peace. And that's love. Okay. That is, that is what our innate nature is. We're not these angry, fearful, depressed beings. We are joy and peace and love. And so we just have to uncover what's there. And I'm still work in progress as, as you said, aside from a few individuals who walk the earth, who are, um, who, who've mastered it. Let's yeah. say mastered it. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I often ask my guests who've written books such as yours. So you've conquered fear and that's why you wrote the book. That's wonderful. Lawrence, terrific. Now <laughs> we got to get your book so that we can conquer fear and be done with it forever. And I think that that's first of all, unrealistic. Uh, because it is part of who and what we are as human beings, not necessarily part of our spiritual being, as you just described, you know, who we really are, but that we can, in those moments of fear, we can tap into, reconnect with that higher self of ourselves, that still small voice that I've been talking about uh, for more than a year and a half about going within and so forth. So... Uh, I, I'm just uh, I'm pleased that uh, we've had this opportunity to talk, and I thank you so much for giving us so much time. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And let me just say that uh, I just want to say fear is an energy, so it's not a bad energy. It appears as a bad energy to us, but it could be transmuted and transformed into a very creative and powerful energy for us because mm. it's just it's part of us. And if somebody, if it, the easiest way to find me is a book on fear.com, it will forward to my website. So a book, a book on fear.com. A book on fear.com. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. It's been extremely enjoyable for me. I've really enjoyed it. Lawrence Duchin has been my guest here on Tell Me Your Story. His book, again, is a book on fear. A book on fear.com is where we're going to direct you folks so that uh, you can uh, order the book and then go on to his website as well. And I want to ask you three final questions. You may have addressed them during the interview, but uh, I like to ask them directly uh, just the same. Before I do that, though, I want to remind our listeners, uh, Tell Me Your Story comes your way 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. and Monday mornings at 1 a.m. That's Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. As well as at richarddugan.com, where we stream live at those times. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations you folks are reposting to. And thanks for doing that. Uh, we also want you to go to a abookonfear.com so that you can continue your evolutionary process, your continued rise, rise up, rise your, raise yourself up. I get the right grammatical phrase there. Raise yourself up, your consciousness and so forth. And then uh, also participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Uh, spend that time going within and getting in touch with that divine self of who you really, really are. Uh, I think that uh, you're going to, you're, you're going to, the benefits are just astounding. I guarantee you. So uh, enjoy that that part of your life. Before uh, we let every guest go, we do have these three final questions. So the first of three to you, my guest, is who is Lawrence Duchin? Lawrence Duchin is an individual who loves God and loves his family very much, devoted husband and father, tries to be of service to the world, wants to be a great service to the world, and is an author and entrepreneur, founder, co-founder of Who's, Who's So Sound Therapy, uh, and uh, a, a great project manager, great salesperson, and just tries to do good for the world. Mm. 
What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I hope for people to understand how holy and beautiful they are, that they are divine beings who are here uh, to grow and to know themselves at the deepest levels and to find their joy and peace that comes from that. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is to uh, is to be a father and husband and a teacher of sorts and to spread joy and light in the world. Well, again, uh, Lawrence, uh, thank you again for joining us here on the program. We will again steer people to a book on fear.com. And uh, we look forward to uh, the next uh, next level of work that you will be coming out with uh, whenever that is in 2021 uh, during the during this year. And uh, again, thank you so much for giving us so much time on this program. I really appreciate uh, the time. Thank you for having me on, Richard. And I thank you for listening and watching. Uh, tell me your story. New paradigms for a new world. Again, we are also on YouTube. So go to Richard Dugan on YouTube. That's my channel. And look for the man with the hat. We also hope that you will join us every uh, for every program. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol.